Well, good morning and welcome to BCA. We're so glad that you guys are here with us today as we continue on in our series, Am I Doing This Right? If we have not met before, my name is Lexi. I'm the Family Life Pastor here, and I'm honored to get to continue us on in our series. Who was here last week when Pastor Adam kicked this series off for us? I love this series because it's so real and relatable. How many of you have ever asked the question, am I doing this right? Like, am I, am I loving my spouse right? Am I raising my kids right? Did I handle that situation right? Did I approach that discipline right? Every single day, we often have this question ringing through our minds, am I doing this right? You know, I believe that all of us in this room would raise our hands and say that we want to be the best spouse, the best parent, the best child, the best sibling, the best family member that we can possibly be, but oftentimes we struggle to get it right. And I don't know about you, but sometimes I wish that the Bible was like an exact guidebook. Can you imagine if the Bible says, if your spouse says this, you're going to say this and this, they'll respond with this, and then you'll say this, and it'll be good. If your kid does this, you're going to want to do five minutes of timeout. Then you're going to want to say this, and it'll be good. I wish that we had an exact guidebook. But as I was praying and preparing for this message, I felt like the Lord really spoke to me and just said, what I've given you is actually better than an exact guidebook. What I've given you is my word, which is our guide that leads us into God's best for our lives. But he's also given us his Holy Spirit, which is our helper. When we're in those situations and we don't know what to do or how to respond or how to handle a situation, the Holy Spirit, our helper, is there to guide us and lead us. And so today, we're going to take some time as we continue on in this series, and we're going to have some real talk as a church. Does anybody like to have real talk in church? I like to have real talk in church. We are going to be honest, transparent. I'm going to start from up here. I'm committing to being honest and transparent. I'm asking you to go there with me, because today we are talking about when we get it wrong. How many of you have ever gotten it wrong? Let me see the hands. Yeah, I think most of us have gotten it wrong. If you haven't, please find me in the lobby. I need to ask you everything about marriage, parenting. I need to know your tricks. But most of us in this place would say that we have gotten it wrong probably more times than we can count. And so we're going to dive into the Bible today and ask the question, what does God say that we should do when we get it wrong? But let's pray together before we jump in. God, we just thank you so much for who you are, for your faithfulness, for your love. God, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for your spirit. God, we ask that today as we look at your word, that you would speak to every heart in this place. God, that you would challenge us, encourage us, build us up in faith. And God, we pray that your spirit would speak directly into our situations. God, I may speak generally, but your Holy Spirit knows every single situation in this place, online, in the chapel. So God, I just pray that you would speak and move and that we would be open and ready for whatever you have for us today. God, we love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Amen. Well, in the spirit of honesty and transparency, I thought I would tell you guys about a moment where I got it really wrong recently. About two weeks ago, I was home with my kids. I've got a three-year-old and a -a one-and-a-half-year-old. And so we're in a busy, busy time of life. And I feel like my kids have just been sick, like, since they came into the world. Like, They came into the world and it was like cold, stomach bug, flu, this, that. It's just sickness and it's been crazy. So me and my husband have been tag teaming and we're just tired. And I was home with both of our kids. And my son is in a phase right now. And I laugh because a lot of you in this room have actually heard this happen in the lobby of our church. But my son is in a phase where he uh, talks in dinosaur roar language. So oftentimes when you're trying to talk to him, he will just roar, and it's a T-Rex, it's always a T-Rex, he will just roar at you to answer you. 
And we were having a day where I was just like, I was up to here with the dinosaur roars. Like one more roar was really going to send me over the edge. Our house was a mess. And so we needed to go somewhere. And I said, Zariah, I know you're having fun, buddy, but it's time to pick up your toys. And he looks at me, and he doesn't just roar, you guys. It's the full stance. He looks at me, and he was like, no! And so in that moment, I'm like, okay, I've read, I've read some parenting books. I've, you know, I've read some blogs. I know what to do. I'm getting eye level. I'm firm but respectful. Zariah, you need to pick up your roar! I can't even get the words out. He's roaring in my face. And it was like the straw that broke the camel's back. I was like, Zariah, you need to knock it off, stop the roaring, and pick up these toys. And immediately, I could just see his eyes got wide. He looked at me like, you're a crazy person. And I told my mom this story later because when we were growing up, we always knew that we had crossed the line with my mom when her jaw would lock up and she was talking to us and she was like, you better knock it off. And we would tell her, mom, you're crazy. And I called her after this happened and I said, mom, you probably were crazy because we drove you crazy. I get it now. But I watched as Zariah's entire demeanor changed. His eyes got wide and he took a step back. And it was one of those moments for me where it was just the gut punch of like, crap. I handled that really wrong. I got down and I said, Zariah, I'm really sorry. And I gave him a hug. Will you forgive mommy? I should never talk to you like that. We move on and like I said, the kids are sick. And so later in the afternoon, I was like, let's watch a movie. And I turn on a show for them. And Zariah is sitting down the couch from me. And I look over at him and I can see he just looks kind of sad. He's kind of shrugged over and, and he looks a little teary. And I was like, buddy, what's, what's going on? And he said, it just made me really sad when you yelled at me earlier, mommy. I mean, talk about just the knife in your heart of like, I'm an idiot. I ruined my kid. He's never going to love me again. We're never going to get past this. It was one of those moments where just the shame of getting it wrong felt so heavy. And I don't know about you, but I've had so many moments like this in my marriage, with my kids, even, even towards my parents or towards siblings, where it's like you say something and immediately it's like, oh, can I bring that back? I wish I wouldn't have said that. Or you do something and it's like, man, that is not how I should have handled that situation. You know, I think when we have these moments, a lot of us ask this question, what do I do? What do I do when I get it wrong? I think for some of us, we become overwhelmed with shame and regret. I won't ask you to raise your hands, but I'm sure there's many people in this room who have experienced just being overwhelmed with shame and regret about how you handled something. Sometimes we worry about if we've ruined the relationship for good. We think, you know what, that was probably the last straw. We're not going to be able to recover from this. For some people, they distance themselves from the relationship. You start to put distance there because you're uncomfortable and you don't know how to move forward and so you just step away. For some people, we try to overcompensate. You think, if I can just do a big gesture, just do something really awesome, they're going to forget that even happened. And you try to overcompensate. For some of us, we try to blame shift. You try to put it onto the other person to kind of get the heat off of yourselves. But I think for a lot of us, it boils down to we try to take matters into our own hands and fix it. When we get it wrong, we try to take matters into our own hands and we try to fix it. And these are all common, normal human responses to getting it wrong. But in my experience, and I think we see this all throughout the Bible, that when we get it wrong and we try to do it in our own strength to fix it, we often make things worse. Have any of you ever tried to fix something and you ended up making it worse? And then you're really feeling down on yourself like, man, I really thought that was going to get through to them. We try to fix things, but we make it worse. And so I think the question we need to start asking is not, what do I do when we get it wrong or when I get it wrong? 
But what does God say that I should do when I get it wrong? What does God's word say that we should do when we mess up and get it wrong? And today we're going to read in the Bible about a guy who got it really, really wrong who tried to take matters into his own hands and things ended up so much worse and we see how God leads us and guides us in the midst of that. So let's ask this question, what does God, do, what does God say that I should do when I get it wrong? Today we're looking at a man named David. We're looking at a man named David. And in the Bible, David is best known for killing the giant Goliath. We actually sang about it in the worship song we were singing in 1 Samuel 17, kills Goliath with a sling and a stone. He was a shepherd boy who worked in his father's fields. The Bible refers to him a couple times actually as a man after God's own heart. And David was in a time in the nation of Israel when they were really turning away from the Lord. They were tired of worshiping a king that they couldn't see. And so they were turning to physical idol worship. Saul was the king and and was chosen by people. And although Saul started off strong, he declined over time and, and his reign ended in disgrace. His life ended tragically. And we see David in the midst of all of this. And David was a successful young warrior. And at first we see that it gives him favor with Saul, but eventually Saul was jealous of him and turns against him and tries to have him killed. And we see that there's two specific times where David actually had a perfect opportunity to kill Saul, to remove him from power, but refused. And eventually we see that David becomes king in God's timing. So all of this to say, David in the Bible we see as a strong leader, He's a strong warrior, a strong man of God. But we also see in 2 Samuel 11 that David made a huge mistake. We're going to read in 2 Samuel 11 verses 1 through 5. It says, In the spring of the year, when kings normally go out to war, David sent Joab and the Israelite army to fight the Ammonites. They destroyed the Ammonite army and laid siege to the city of Rabbah. However, David stayed behind in Jerusalem. Late one afternoon after his midday rest, David got out of bed and was walking on the roof of the palace. As he looked out over the city, he noticed a woman of unusual beauty taking a bath. And everybody said, "Uh uh-oh. He sent someone to find out who she was, and he was told, catch this, he was told she is Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam and the wife of Uriah the Hittite. Then David sent messengers to get her, and when she came to the palace, he slept with her. She had just completed the purification rites after having her menstrual period. Then she returned home, and later, when Bathsheba discovered that she was pregnant, she sent David a message saying, I'm pregnant. So we've got a situation going on with David. So the first thing, and I think it's easy to miss this, but David actually should not have been there in the first place. David should have been out at war with his men, but he stays back, and it says he sees Bathsheba, and it's important to note, he asks, who is that woman? And he's specifically told who she is, that she's married. And he sends for her anyways, and they sleep together, and she becomes pregnant. Now, the problem with this, and I think we can put the pieces together with this in our minds, that this pregnancy would make David's mistake public. People would start to put the pieces together that Uriah was not at home. He was away. And okay, Bathsheba, whose baby is this? And so David's starting to realize, I need to do something about this situation. I need to do something to fix this. We see in verse 6, it says, Then David sent word to Joab, send me Uriah the Hittite. So Joab sent him to David. When Uriah arrived, David asked him how Joab and the army were getting along and how the war was progressing. Then he told Uriah, go on home and relax. David even sent a gift to Uriah after he had left the palace, but Uriah didn't go home. He slept that night at the palace entrance with the king's palace guard. 
When David heard that Uriah had not gone home, he summoned him and asked, what's the matter? Why didn't you go home last night after being away for so long? Uriah replied, the ark and the armies of Israel and Judah are living in tents, and Joab and my master's men are camping in the open fields. How could I go home to wine and dine and sleep with my wife? I swear that I would never do such a thing. Well, stay here today, David told him, and tomorrow you may return to the army. So Uriah stayed in Jerusalem that day and the next. Then David invited him to dinner and got him drunk. But even then, he couldn't get Uriah to go home to his wife. Again, he slept at the palace entrance with the king's palace guard. So, I mean, you got to give some props to David. He had an idea here. He thought, if I can get Uriah to go home and sleep with Bathsheba, perfect. The baby is Uriah's. We've got it figured out. But Uriah, being a man of honor, he said, how could I go home and wine and dine and sleep with my wife when our men are at war? Probably the thought David should have been having himself as the leader. But Uriah refuses to go home. So I can imagine the wheels are turning for David now in what seems like kind of just an act of desperation to fix this situation. We start again in verse 14. It says, so the next morning, David wrote a letter to Joab and gave it to Uriah to deliver. The letter instructed Joab, Station Uriah on the front lines where the battle is fiercest, then pull back so that he will be killed. So Joab assigned Uriah to a spot close to the city wall where he knew the enemy's strongest men were fighting. And when the enemy soldiers came out to the city to fight, Uriah the Hittite was killed along with several other Israelite soldiers. So this story just goes from bad to worse. You see David and there's unfaithfulness. And then he thinks, okay, I can cover this up. I'm going to get Uriah drunk. We'll get him to go home. That doesn't work. And now we end up in this place where he has Uriah murdered to try and cover up his mistake. Now, when I read this story, honestly, I so clearly see you and I. Now, I'm not saying that you've slept with your neighbor and then they got pregnant. I'm not saying, you know, maybe you have and we're glad they're here at church. You're welcome here. I'm not saying in this exact situation, but how many of us have messed up, whether it's in big things or small things, and then you thought, you know what, I can fix this, and then things get worse. And then you think, you know what, I can fix it even better than I fixed it the first time, and then things get worse. This story, to me, leads us to ask this question, what does God say that I should do when we get it wrong? You know, the reason I love this story, and I thought it was so perfect for our time together today, is that as I said a few moments ago, the Bible refers to David as a man after God's own heart. Now, I don't know about you, but you read this story of what David just did, and don't you kind of raise an eyebrow, like, if that's a man after God's own heart, like, I'm doing actually pretty good. But there's only one word for the reason that that's what the Lord called David, and it's the word redemption. David's story is an incredible and raw picture of God's redemption. But there's something that we need to do to see God's redemption move in that way. There's something that eventually David did that really opened up the door for God to start to intervene. So let's ask this question together. What does God say that I should do when I get it wrong? And the first thing is this, we need to repent. God calls us to repent when we get it wrong. In 2 Samuel 12, God sends a prophet named Nathan to confront David about his sin. And he tells him a few really important things. He tells David that David has despised the Lord by his actions. The prophet Nathan is very honest with him. He says, God appointed you to be a godly leader, and you have dishonored the name of the Lord by your actions. 
He also tells David, probably the hardest part of this story, is that although the Lord forgives him, there's going to be great consequences for his sin. The son that David and Bathsheba conceived will pass away. In 2 Samuel 12, 11 through 12, the Lord says through Nathan, out of your own household, I'm going to bring calamity on you. Before your very eyes, I will take your wives and give them to one who is close to you, and he will sleep with your wives in broad daylight. You did it in secret, but I will do this thing in broad daylight before all of Israel. There's this moment where the weight of his sin is hitting David in a very real way. And David says something really important here. David says, in a moment of just raw repentance, David says, I have sinned against the Lord. I've sinned against the Lord. A moment where everything changed, everything shifted in David's heart, and he was brought to a place of repentance. When you look at this word repent, in our culture, a lot of times, we don't look at it very positively. There's words that you see in Bible like repent and discipline that in our context, we think of as very negative. But when you see this idea of repentance in scripture, it always gives way to seeing God do something great in your life. But it starts with taking a humble position of repentance before the Lord. This word repent in scripture would be defined by a change of heart and mind that brings us closer to God. It includes turning away from sin and turning to God for forgiveness. And this is, I think, the most important part in what we see in David's story is that it is motivated by a love for God and a sincere desire to obey his commandments. You know, when David was brought to this place of repentance, it wasn't just, oh man, Uriah's dead, that, that really sucks. Or, oh man, I really put Bathsheba in a bad position. It wasn't just the situation it was when David realized, I've sinned against God. I have dishonored the name of the Lord by my actions, and it brought him to this place of repentance. And I want to read in Psalm 51. This is a psalm that you'll hear quoted a lot of times in church, but I think when you read this psalm in light of knowing the place David was writing it out of, his, his great mistake with Bathsheba, it's incredibly powerful. In Psalm 51, verses 1 through 15, he says, have mercy on me, O God, because of your unfailing love. Because of your great compassion, blot out the stain of my sins. Wash me clean from my guilt. Purify me from my sin. For I recognize my rebellion. It haunts me day and night. Against you and you alone have I sinned. I have done what is evil in your sight. You will be proved right in what you say, and your judgment against me is just. For I was born a sinner. Yes, from the moment my mother conceived me, but you desire honesty from the womb, teaching me wisdom even there. Purify me from my sins and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Oh, give me back my joy again. You have broken me, now let me rejoice. Don't keep looking at my sins. Remove the stain of my guilt. Create in me a clean heart, oh God. Renew a loyal spirit within me. Do not banish me from your presence and don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and make me willing to obey you. Then I will teach your ways to rebels and they will return to you. Forgive me for shedding blood, O God who saves. Then I will joyfully sing of your forgiveness. Unseal my lips, O Lord, that my mouth may praise you. You know, this psalm is just a raw moment of David crying out to the Lord and saying, Lord, I know that I have sinned against you and you alone. 
but I'm asking for your forgiveness. I'm asking for your redemption. I'm asking, I love when he says that you would renew a loyal spirit within me, that you would actually bring me back to a place where my desires are in line with your desires. Clearly I've strayed, but Lord, would you bring me back into right standing with you that I might walk in the path of righteousness? When we get it wrong, the first thing that the Lord calls us to do, he beckons us with his kindness, is that we would repent. I think that looks like, first and foremost, repenting before God. We need to repent before the Lord. When we're talking about family, I think it's easy to jump to the hurt that our mistakes cause the other person, which is incredibly important. But I think we need to be brought back to a place where it hurts our hearts when we sin against the Lord. That we're not comfortable with sin, we're not comfortable with compromise, but it would actually break our hearts when we sin against the Lord. When I was praying last night before coming here to this message, I just felt the Lord say that when we cry out to him, he will replace our hearts of stone with a new heart of flesh, meaning that we will no longer have, have hearts of stone that don't care about sin or don't care about compromise, but that God would restore in us a heart that says, Lord, I want to do what's right in your eyes. I want to walk in the path of righteousness. I want to be the type of spouse that you've called me to be. I want to be the type of parent that you've called me to be. Your word is my standard, and when I fall short of that, Lord, would you forgive me? We need to repent before the Lord, but we also need to repent before the other person. You know, I listened to a, I listened to a podcast this past week that was talking about the lost art of saying, I'm sorry. And, you know, I don't know about you, but for me, I know that there's often times where I don't say sorry as quick as I should or as often as I should. I think sometimes it's our pride we don't want to humble ourselves to say sorry. I think sometimes it's our desire to be right. We don't want to give up our right to be right by saying sorry. For some, time, for some of us, it's a lack of remorse. Whatever it is, we need to get better at saying sorry. There's times where we need to come before the person that we've hurt. We've come before the Lord, and now we need to go to that person and say, I'm sorry. And one of the things I loved in this podcast is it said, we need to get better at saying, I'm sorry, and leave out the buts. Meaning, and I'm, I will call myself out on this. This is something I work on constantly. It's not, hey, I'm sorry that I did this. But if you wouldn't have done this, I wouldn't have had to do that in the first place. We're not trying to give ourselves an out. We're coming from a place of, of genuine, a, a genuine apology, a genuine place of, man, I got that wrong, and I just want you to know I'm sorry. I apologize. And I want to be better next time. When we get it wrong, the Lord calls us to repent before him and before others to say we're sorry. Now, one of the things that is, I think, one of the hardest truths of the story of David that we see in his life is that even though we repent and surrender back to God, there are still consequences of sin. You know, even in this, in this room online in the chapel, I know that there's probably people here and there's been unfaithfulness or addiction in your marriage, and now there's a lack of trust that exists in your marriage that you're having to navigate. I know there's people here, and maybe there's been a history of anger, whatever it is, and it's caused broken relationship, and now that's a very real reality that you're having to navigate. We see in the story of David that our repentance doesn't mean that there's no consequences or that things are just going to smooth over right away, but... 
what our repentance does is it actually opens up the door for us to begin to experience God's miraculous and restorative and redemptive power in our situations. Repentance is what brings us to the place where we say, God, I've gotten it wrong. Would you forgive me? Would you help me to be better next time? And God, I recognize that I can't do it on my own. So God, would your power come into my marriage? Would your power come into my parenting? Would your power come into this broken relationship and bring redemption in the way that only you can? Which is our second point for this morning, that we need to trust in God's redemptive power. We need to trust in God's redemptive power. David is known as a man after God's own heart, despite what he did, because he repented before the Lord and he let God's redemptive power work in his life. The Bible says that when David's son with Bathsheba became ill, he fasted and prayed for seven days for his son to be healed, but his son ultimately passed away just as the Lord had said. And it says that David got up, changed his clothes, went to the tabernacle, and worshipped God. It goes on to say that God eventually gives David a second son, and in 2 Samuel 12, 24, it says they name him Solomon and the Lord loved him. David writes many psalms of praise and thanksgiving for the Lord. We see just this beautiful restoration in David's life. But I want to be very clear and I want to be very honest. For those of you who have read further along in, in this story and in the line of David, if you haven't, I would encourage you to do it. But if you follow the storyline of David's family, you do see a long line of sin and disobedience. You see the things that the Lord spoke through the prophet Nathan, that they come true, that it's messy. There is messiness in this story. And I think it's easy at times when you read a story like this through the life of David and the things that happened after this moment we've been talking about today. I think it's also easy in our stories that we're living every day to ask this question of, God, where is your redemption in all of this? We see some of the crap that happens in the world, in relationships, in our families, and we can wonder, God, where is your redemption in all of this? I think we see it really clearly in a moment in 2 Samuel 7. I want to read this. This is before, a little bit before what we've talked about today with David and Bathsheba. But the Lord is, is speaking a promise to David through the prophet Nathan again. And this is what the Lord says. The Lord says, when your days are over and you rest with your ancestors, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, your own flesh and blood, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father, and he will be my son. You go on to see prophecy after prophecy throughout the Old Testament that was all leading us up to the one who would bring redemption for humanity in the most final sense that we can even imagine, and that person is Jesus. That through the person and the work and the resurrection of Jesus, redemption is possible when we get it wrong. Redemption is possible when we mess up. Healing is possible. Forgiveness is possible. Restoration is possible. Healed relationships are possible because of the person and the work of Jesus Christ. Our bottom line for this weekend, our big idea is that there is hope even when we get it wrong because of Jesus and his redemptive power. You and I are gonna get it wrong in our marriages. We're gonna get it wrong with our kids. We're gonna get it wrong with our parents. We're gonna get it wrong in our families, in every relationship in our lives. There are times where we will get it wrong. 
And instead of leaning into the temptation of, I'm just going to fix this myself, I'm just going to muscle through, I'm just going to rely on my own power, on my own strength, we have the opportunity, really we have the call from the Lord to respond in repentance and then to open up our lives, our situations, our mess to God's redemption. To say, Lord, here I am, I'm broken before you and I'm just asking that you would come in and do what only you can do. In just a moment, we're going to get ready to spend some time responding. I've said this pretty much every time I speak, but I really believe every time that we come to God's word, he calls us to respond, to respond to what his spirit has spoken to us. And so we're going to spend some time responding, and we're really going to respond by practicing what I preach today. We're just going to take some time to repent before the Lord and open up our hearts and our lives and say, Jesus, we just want to see your redemptive power at work in our families But I don't know what you walked into service with today. I know that there are some people here online in the chapel who were in our early service. I know there's people within our church family, and you are walking through a big thing in your family. There's been a big falling out. There's been massive sin that you feel like we're never going to get through this. Our marriage will never survive this. My relationship with my kids will never be the same. I'll never have contact with that family member again. This situation is hopeless. I also believe that there's people here today, and for you, you're more struggling in the day-to-day of relationships and family. Maybe for you it's anger. You struggle with anger and, and sinning in your anger, whether that's in your marriage, with your kids, whatever. Maybe for you it's controlling your tongue. The Bible talks so much about our controlling our tongue. And maybe for you it's just you've started to hurl inserts, harsh words, disrespectful, dishonoring language in your relationships. For some of us it's in our day-to-day. And every single day we just keep feeling that weight of like, man, I just keep getting it wrong. I'm trying and I'm trying and I'm trying and I just keep getting it wrong. And I just wonder at what point Do we have the revelation in our own hearts of God, if I've tried it my way a hundred times and I failed a hundred times, maybe it's time to try it your way. God, maybe it's time to come to you in repentance, allow you to break my heart for what breaks yours, allow you to break my heart about my sin so that I can be brought to a place of restoration and redemption and I can see your hand at work in my family. I want to invite everybody in this place to stand up. You can stand up online, wherever you are. You can engage from right where you are in the chapel. I want to ask you to close your eyes. Would you even just begin to ask the Lord right now to just reveal to you the areas that you've been getting it wrong? Maybe it's crystal clear. And I just want to ask you, If you're here joining us for service today and you would say, I want to be included in this prayer. I'm I'm ready to repent before the Lord for the ways I've gotten it wrong. And I want to ask for God's redemptive power to be at work in me and in my family. I don't want to do it in my own strength. I don't don't want to do it in my own power. I want to see what the Holy Spirit could do with my marriage. I want to see what the Holy Spirit could do with my family. If that's you and you want to be included in this prayer, would you just raise your hand right wherever you are? You can put it in the chat if you're 
engaging with us in this time of prayer. You can put your hands down. I'm going to lead us in a moment of prayer. I want to encourage you to make this a sincere moment between you and the Lord. Whatever you need to bring to his feet today, he's here, he wants to meet with you. Would you just bring it before the Lord? Would you repent and then would you just allow the Lord's redemptive work to begin to fill you with new hope for that relationship you thought was gone forever, with new hope for your marriage, with new wisdom on how to handle situations in your family? Just before I pray, and I want you to keep your eyes closed just for privacy. As I was praying last night, we see in 1 Corinthians 12, when it talks about the gifts of the Spirit, one of the things that we'll talk about is that sometimes the Lord gives words of knowledge. And as I was praying, I just felt the Lord say this so clearly. I wrote it down. That there's someone here, I don't know if you're in this room or online, there's someone here and there's a sin that you've been hiding in the dark and you're scared to bring it to light because you know it will cause hurt and destruction. And I just felt the Lord say, because you're choosing to honor me by bringing this into the light, I will honor you and my redemption will be over your family. Can we just come before the Lord right now? God, we just thank you that you are our loving Father, our heavenly Father. You've never left our sides even for a second. God, even when we get it wrong, God, when we dishonor you with our actions, with our words, God, you call us into repentance by your kindness, by your love. So God, we come before you and we say, Lord, here we are. We lay it all down at your feet. God, we ask for your forgiveness. God, we repent of our sins. We repent of our sins. God, we echo the prayer of David. Would you restore in us a loyal spirit, a heart that desires to do what is right in the eyes of the Lord? God, we ask that you would create in us a clean heart, a new heart, a new heart, God, that you would take our heart of stone and replace it with a heart of flesh filled with the Holy Spirit. God, we repent of our sins. We ask that you would give us boldness and courage to say sorry to those that we need to say sorry to. God, I even pray there might even be a relationship where there hasn't been contact for years and today you're gonna birth new hope and give boldness to reach out and make contact. And God, I just believe there's gonna be restoration and redemption and relationships that we thought were gone for good. God, we repent before you and God, now we just ask that you would fill us with your redemptive power. God, we ask that your Holy Spirit would fill our hearts and our minds. God, that your Holy Spirit would begin to fill our homes, our marriage, our our relationship with our kids. God, that we would be led by the Spirit in everything we do. We would walk in the path of righteousness according to your word, that your Spirit would guide us when we get off step, that we'd be quick to repent, quick to come back to the throne of grace, and quick to get back on track with you. God, we love you, and I just pray that in this time of worship, this time of prayer, God, that you would speak to every heart, that we would leave this place changed. God, that we would leave this place filled with your Holy Spirit and able to be better tomorrow. God, not by our own power, but by yours. We boast in our weakness because we know that your power shines greatest in our weakness. God, we love you. We praise you, and we praise you for all the testimonies that are gonna come out of this time. Healed relationships, healed marriages, restored families, in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. I just want to encourage you for just a moment. We're just going to worship for a quick, a quick moment. But before you run out, would you just make this a time between you and the Lord to respond to what he's speaking to you? And then we'll be dismissed in just a minute.